Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Today's episode is definitely a unique one for this show. Um, you know, if I had to break it, like when people ask, like, what is your what is the podcast about? You know, I kind of always try to sum it up in like a simple way. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, do I start off by saying I don't know? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, no, I say I don't know. It's a it's a adventure podcast. It's about outdoor adventures or endurance adventures and and things of the sort. Life adventures. It's about amazing humans accomplishing these huge things in their lives. And this episode is all about when do you decide to abandon the adventure? What would lead somebody to change their plans when they've spent like a year getting all the details ready, all the equipment ready, everything ready for this huge feat that they're going to go out and accomplish. When do you decide to kind of, I don't know, throw that away um, to, to do something new? You know, what do you, what do you discover when you intentionally don't accomplish a huge feat of endurance? Like, is there more out there for us than just these big athletic goals? And when you realize that, are you able to actually like put that aside, put that big athletic goal aside and chase after something that might be more meaningful to you? Um, so that's what this episode is about. It's essentially about not having an adventure. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast where we talk about not having an adventure, but like in reality, still having an adventure. You know what I mean? Because that's what life is. It's just one big mystery. And as you go out and pursue the unknown, of course, you're going to have an adventure. It just might not be the one that you were initially seeking, the one you were initially planning for. Um, and in this episode, I'm very, very excited. Uh, we're bringing on my friend, Sabrina White. Um, and her original plan this summer was she was going to go to Mongolia, fly her bike out to Mongolia and bike across it and do this epic, epic bike pack across essentially the Gobi Desert um, and across the plains and the mountains and just get to check out all the beautiful um, wilderness that Mongolia has. Um, she went out to do it. She went out to accomplish it. And I remember her telling me that she ended up only doing 10K of the bike. She was going to bike thousands of miles or a thousand, almost 2,000 miles. And then she was like, no, nah, I just, I ended up only doing 10K and then turning back. And this episode is all about why. And it's cool. It's awesome. I think it gets into some deep ideas uh, about adventure that, that, we haven't explored so far on this podcast, so I'm really excited to share it with you. I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. I think this is one of my favorite episodes that I've recorded um, because it is such a unique perspective on adventure. So let's dive right in. This is Like a Bigfoot podcast number 310 with Sabrina White. All right, welcome uh, 
sorry that was a terrible intro i'm bad at this i'm not good at it, sabrina so <laughs> It was right. great. It was great. Everyone <laughs> loves your podcast. It's the beginning always just feels weird. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, here we go. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited uh, to welcome back Sabrina White to the podcast. And Sabrina, it was funny because I was like looking back through our messages because I was trying to find your email again. <laughs> and I remember the first time I asked you to be on the podcast, you were like, yeah, I'll totally do it. I don't know if I'll have anything interesting to say. And I was like, what that's not true and then since then i've had so many people tell me like dude your episode with sabrina was like my favorite episode and i was like what that's amazing that's too so, much pressure man so i'm putting all the pressure on you right away right off the bat and uh welcome to the show <laughs> you're right thanks uh you know last episode was everything interesting about me so now it's all boring there's nothing now else it's, oh cool yeah well i want to start here because last episode you talked about your love of insects Yes. And you are now studying bumblebees. So explain. I, Tell me about it. Oh my God. Okay. So I guess when we left off, I was still in the Navy, right? Oh gosh. Yeah. So I was still in the Navy and it was kind of like I was working my way to escaping and getting away. And I did. And so I got out in like January and I'd been applying for programs because uh, I do love insects because insects are amazing. And I got into a master's program at the University of Wyoming, and I'm so excited about it. I started yeah. in August and I study thermal tolerance in bumblebees now, which I mean, they're adorable. So we, last time we had that question of like, what's your favorite insect? And mm -hmm. I was like, I don't really know. Maybe a mosquito. Uh, it's bumblebees now. It's, it's obligatory. They've yeah, taken the, the belt. They've taken the belt of best insect. They're absolutely adorable. They're so fuzzy and cute and you can just pluck the males off of the leaves and they can't sting you. And they're just so much fun. Wait, why can't the males sting you? Males don't sting from bees. What? Yeah, only the females do. Why? It's a modified ovipositor is what their stingers are. So only the females will have those. No way. So the yeah. males are just useless, essentially. No, they're very important <laughs> for breeding. <laughs> they do have very short lives. They do. Very short. Oh. How short? They are mm, depends on the depends on the bee. But like yeah. the bumblebees, most species, the males will males and new queens are created by the colonies at the end of the season which will be like in the fall time period. Okay. And then they'll come out and the males, their whole job in life is to mate with uh -huh. the queen. And so they go out and they look for queens. They have mating and then winter comes around. So most bumblebees live in like colder areas. So yeah. the majority of them have an annual life cycle only. This is bumblebees, not honeybees. Um, so they, the colony will die or perish at the end of the year when winter comes around. And that's when the males die. So they're, they're created in the, the fall-ish they go out and they mate with some queens and then they all die. And that's it. Like a couple months. Dude, that is insane. Yeah, it's sad if you think about it in like a very tragic short lifespan. But you know what? They probably are enjoying life when they're a lot when they're around. Yeah, it's a very critical part of life. Yeah. If there were no males created to mate with queens, you would have no more colonies at the beginning of the year. There you go. Important. Well, so this may I don't know why this reminds me of this, but have you ever heard of like mayflies? Yeah. Okay, so when I was growing up on the Mississippi River, like once a summer for like two weeks. Oh, the breeding seasons. Oh, dude. And my dad, his house was on the river and it would it would become covered like in mayflies. Oh, my God. And he would just be like, all right. He's like, uh, Chris, go out and mow the lawn. And I'm like, I don't want to. There are swarms of bugs. 
And I would drive the driving lawnmower with one hand and like swat bugs with the other for like an hour. It was, is this is why you have children so that you can send them to mow the lawn when yeah. there's a infestation? Exactly. I'm like, get out there. Oh my God, my kids would lose it. Like Colorado, honestly, there's barely any bugs. Like they're so spoiled when it comes to like knowing about swarms of mosquitoes and out stuff. west has no idea what the south is they like. have no idea or like yeah we took them to my dad's house in wisconsin and there's like Ooh, wisconsin Ooh. yeah just mosquitoes and they're like what is this i'm like it's mosquitoes get used to it i'm toughening you up wow yeah such a dad yeah but anyways i'm so excited that you're studying that and like obviously it's something like you're super passionate about and and it's all of that do you go out like do you do field studies and stuff i will so um during the when i got here we go we went and collected bees out in um, the medicine bow national forest oh cool um but it wasn't for my project because i'm still like building mine yeah um and now it's winter so the field season's kind of over unless you're studying like overwintering or something yeah um so next spring will be very very busy oh hey i see what you did there Busy. Yep, I did. It's like a actually a requirement now. The feed <laughs> puns is part of the job. You just can't have this without it. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, I wanted to bring you on uh for just to catch up one, but also I I really want to ask about this. So um this summer you were training for this huge adventure, right? In Mongolia. And you were well, I mean, you can explain all of it, like what it originally was gonna be and then what how it turned out. And I just think it's really interesting um, because you kind of like pivoted in the middle of the adventure and kind of like followed what was giving you like happiness at the time. And I think it's cool. And I, I wanted to promote this one as an adventure podcast about why to like abandon an adventure, you yeah, know, definitely. which is, yeah. And I'm like, how cool is that idea? Like you have an adventure in mind and then you decide not to do it. And I think that's super important. So yeah. yeah, can you kind of give us like the background, like what you were going to do and all of that? I would love to. So I wanted to do something big, especially because like we had just come out of COVID for like so long and travel wasn't really possible. And normally like throughout the year, I would do like smaller trips to like go climb something big or yeah. um, after I got into running, like go on a big run or something. Uh, but there wasn't really a chance to like do any real like traveling. And I, in the Navy, um, because I hadn't been able to do anything, I'd managed to like save up some money. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take the in-between time after I leave the Navy and before I go to school to do something really big and super exciting. And that's what I wanted to do. I hadn't traveled out of the country. I went to, I used to travel a lot in undergrad. Um, I can't remember if we talked about this on the last one, but oh, uh, I'm trying to remember. I would take like every opportunity to like study and do research abroad while I could. So I spent like three months in Thailand working on mosquitoes. Um, and then I went to Paraguay for a couple months to, to like volunteer on an NGO and uh, in a, in a nature reserve. It was cool. Okay. I got to collect a lot of dung beetles. Actually, that was really horrible. I had to bait the traps with human feces <laughs> and I have never been so sick in my whole life. It was <laughs> horrific, but I knew so much about everyone's bowel movements. I was like, your health is quite poor. You should have some more fiber in your diet today. You're <laughs> like the dung beetles are ignoring your pile. Like you got to get your shit together, ladies oh. and gents. Oh, oh, the puns are strong today. Well done. Uh -huh. well done. I'm a seventh grade science teacher who has three kids. Like wow. all I do is puns. That is impressive. <laughs> How to your skill. <laughs> but yeah, so I used to travel a lot. 
And then once I got out and did all of my adventuring, it ended up being adventures in the U.S., yeah. right? So I'd go climb all these fun things or I'd go skiing in all these cool places. Um, and it became, instead of like international travel, it was United States travel, which was just as much fun. But I think I had started to define my travels by almost the level of suffering that I was undertaking. Um and I was like, it's got to be really hard or didn't yeah. accomplish anything. Um, and, and I kind of, I think I had forgotten what it was like to do international travel. Last time was like 2014, I guess, um, where I traveled outside the country. And I used to just love um, cultural exploration. That was what I thought was so much fun about traveling was seeing and experiencing how other people around the world live and sharing your own culture when you go to those places and and taking something back and learning from the people that you meet there yeah and I love that I always thought that was so much fun um and then I shifted gears to being all adventure driven and doing all these really exciting things um but they were all U.S. focused so it wasn't quite as much there's really nothing culturally to gain um on those trips and this trip was an extension this was I wanted it to be my original plan was I wanted to go to Mongolia and spend two months cycling like 1,400 miles was the route that I had planned. And I had spent the year um, like planning the route and watching bunches of YouTube videos and reading lots of like articles about people who had been there and how long backpacking trips were, bikepacking trips. And this is, <laughs> this is just a definition of jumping into things before you really know what the, what the hell you're doing because uh, I have barely done any bikepacking at all. <laughs> almost none but it sounds so cool that's my thing like i actually this morning based off our mutual friend thomas mullins i was listening to a bike packing podcast called bikes or death and i was like yes bikes or death but i'm like when was the last time i actually like went on a long bike ride like i couldn't tell you but it just it's i don't know why it just sounds like something i should be doing all the time right so i can tell you the whole evolution of how this Okay. Horrific plan started. So I was, I wanted to run somewhere really, really far. Cause you know, you read all those amazing books of like running the great Himalayan trail in Nepal or running that super long one in New Zealand that goes from like North to South all the way down. Yeah. And I really wanted to do something like really awesome running wise. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to go somewhere really remote and I was originally going to do the great Himalayan trail in, in Nepal, but it's, there's so many people on it. And it's got a lot of like segments and it's really regimented, I think. I mean, comparatively, it's not that much, but yeah. uh, there's a lot of sections that are like mandatory guide to get through, or you have to oh, go to the okay. lower route to get past. And it's really high in the Himalayas. I mean, I probably should dream for that. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to go somewhere. There was no people. This is what I wanted. I wanted somewhere really, really remote. Yeah. Um then Tibet would have been awesome, but you can't really go to Tibet because there's lots of visa issues um, and you have to have a guide. So I settled on Mongolia because it's amazing and it's beautiful. And I love the landscape in, in those high plateau areas where it's like just lots of rolling, big, beautiful mountains and few trees and kind of like Wyoming. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of looks a lot like Wyoming. And so I settled on Mongolia, but it was so far and so remote that the running distances were really impractical. And I was like, well, I can't run these because yeah, it's really like, unsafe. How um, do I get stuff that I might I'm going to bike it. Yeah. <laughs> I've done like two bikepacking trips. Clearly, I have the experience to spend two continuous months bikepacking in Mongolia. Everybody, yeah. What, what was your two bikepacking trips? 
Um, I did one in Georgia and that was like three or four days bike packing in Georgia. And it was really fun. Just in the mountains, my dog came, it was a great time. Um, got dumped on rain every time I had a Sunto watch actually at the time yeah. and the thing was like massive and I didn't really understand how it worked and had this like warning of weather feature on it. And it went off and it was like beautiful, perfect day outside. And my watch is losing its mind. And I'm like, what the, what like, the Watch, hell? you're so dumb. You don't perfect know. Perfect outside. What a stupid watch. Yeah. Five minutes later, it was <laughs> dumping the worst rainstorm I've ever experienced. And we are freezing to death. Yeah. Like trying to put the tents up when it's pouring rain. So listen to your watch. It's smarter than you. Dude. So, and Georgia, like, I don't know. I just, I remember Virginia rain, that stuff like dumps on you. Like, it oh my is, God. and it doesn't stop. That's the thing. Like Colorado, you're like, oh, it's raining really hard, but it stops after like 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh, storms, Wyoming. This is completely off topic, but yeah. uh, there's huge storms. I just realized in Wyoming and it was oh, really? summer. It was August, early August, really hot, been hiking all day. It was like, t-shirt weather, shorts and t-shirt, like really warm, went to the walk to the downtown area with dogs and <laughs> oh my God, it was wild. Um, super sunny, really hot, just sitting out there. And then we start seeing people um, packing up. It was me and my dogs, the part, my partner. And we were, everybody started to like move and like pack things up. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? And we're like, <laughs> what's going on? They're like, there's a big storm coming in. Blue skies, perfectly clear. And we're like the big storms coming in. Oh, yeah. I guess we start start meandering back to my house. I live two miles from. You're downtown. like these Wyoming people are as dumb as my watch. Yeah, just <laughs> like my watch. It's so weird. It started hailing massive balls of hail, like the size of a quarter, and then just wild water. And the water was freezing cold, and it was a hot summer day. And it started to flood downtown. The water was coming into the stores. Dude. After like 45 minutes, we were hiding in the store trying to be like, maybe, maybe we can just wait it out. Didn't, didn't work. It was just getting worse. So we're like, we have to go back. Like I left the windows open in my house because it's summer. Yeah. We have to go back. <laughs> we, had, we waited two miles in knee deep water filled with ice. It was the most ridiculous experience. I had flip-flops on. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And then a car drives by and some lady in a car stops. She's like, she's in her car. We're driving. We're like pelted with, with we're like covered in plastic bags, trying to keep ourselves dry and warm. <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's wild weather, isn't it? It's a terrible day. And like, she just drives away. And we're like, no way. <laughs> Give us a ride. I thought you were going to say like, she's get in. But no, no, she's like, man, sucks to be you guys. It's terrible weather today. <laughs> <laughs> that's genius it was hilarious. Oh it was but so so you went georgia yeah. which is a cool place like yeah. i don't know i i just was on bikepacking.com today mm, and then oh, i was wow. like uh-oh this you is not a good blog, website huh? for me to be on you know but no, i'm sure you can zoom in on a map and you can <gasps> find like different bikepacking routes it's an amazing website it's got yeah. so much cool stuff on it yeah um is it bikepacking there's, there's another, there's a bunch of those like bikepacking apps. Some of them are pretty exciting. Um, that's the second bikepacking trip I went on was in Big Bear yeah. in California. And somebody had posted like this really nice um, bikepacking loop that looked really fun. And I, I wanted to like practice with some elevation and stuff. And I started to try to follow it. And I was like, I did three days. 
And like at some point on the start of the second day, I started noticing that uh, I was turning into a church parking lot. And I'm like, this doesn't seem right. I'm wandering around. Oh, the route was? The route turned into the parking lot. And it was just like- I thought you were making an analogy. And I was like, I haven't heard that analogy before. (laughs) No, this is literal. It turned into a church parking (laughs) lot. And it started like going down. And the route went through the woods on an unknown trail. And uh, I got kicked off because it was private property. So like half the thing was like private property. <laughs> and I was just wandering down the roads to try to find my way back in this loop. It was fun though. That's cool. It was, okay. So tell me like, no, so you, you've actually done some, which I I have plans. My friend Cornejo, who says hi, by the way. Oh, uh, hi. Remember, Cornejo and I, GoPro guys on our Ooh, movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, we're planning really on bikepacking uh, in April. Mm-hmm. We want to do the White Rim Trail in Moab, which would be super cool. And that'd be just like an like not an easy one, but like it's rel- you can get it done fairly quickly. Um, but anyways, we haven't actually done it yet. So w- you experiencing this for the first time, like what what about bikepacking is something that like is drawing you in? I'd say it's really fun, I think, because of the distances you can travel. Yeah. Like when you're going on a run that's 100 miles long. You can see some like you'll see some really like, really beautiful things, but they'll happen really slowly because unless you're like professional, you're not exactly running fast on a hundred yeah. mile race. Um, so you see really pretty things, but you see them at a slow pace, which has its own perks, right? Like you can enjoy the smaller things, but if you want to see like a greater variety of terrain at once, I think bikepacking is super cool because yeah. you can go see a bunch of different things and you'll from going into a desert to up into a mountain. It's like the Coco Pelli, but you can do that in like one day. Yeah. Well, Coco Pelli, but <laughs> it's a couple of days still, I think. But is it is there any like feel feeling of like freedom? Cause you're like, I get to decide where I'm camping. I get to decide where and when I stop, I get mm-hmm. to kind of like have that freedom to go at my yeah. own pace or any of that. Definitely. But I think that's, that could be done in a lot of different things though. Right. Cause you could do that fast packing. Mm. Oh yeah. Backpacking. Yeah. Um, all of those have that really cool feature to it. I think going downhill when you're bike packing is really special though. <laughs> you're like, I'm going so fast. You just watch the miles tick away and you're like, look at all the ground recovery. Yeah. Which is really fun. That's super like that cool. A lot. So, yeah. yeah. So I guess eventually though, you're like, I'm going to Mongolia. And I'm going to do yeah. this crazy thing. Yeah. And so you I, were like I, telling me on messages, you're like, this is going to be like a few months and blah, blah, yeah. blah. That was the plan. So the plan was I had, I had mapped the whole route out. Um, there is very little information on Mongolia. You will find <laughs> on the internet. Um, almost none, actually. This is a very, very little of anything. Or it's all really old. Um, yeah. So I had grabbed essentially maps from the internet, like satellite maps and I was hoping it would work. Uh, and I had drawn the route out based on like geographic features and where I thought would be bikeable. None of it was on roads or anything or very little of it was, it was, but the roads in Mongolia are not necessarily, not all of them are actually roads, Yeah. which I learned even more when I got there. It's more like there's a basic direction and each car picks its own road in a lot of places. Choose your own adventure. Like, just, just choose your own adventure. Yeah. Unless it's the main road. And which is really quite fun. But my plan was just to make my own path. Um, yeah. And I had this 1,400 mile route mapped out. 
and like breaks each day of where I would stop and I would refuel about every five days. So I would carry enough stuff for five days and then I'd pass through a town where I was hoping there would be enough supplies that I could refill. Yeah. There's a lot of hope involved uh-huh. in this. You'll, you'll notice. Um, I was hoping it would go really well. And I had got all kinds of things. I like done all kinds of like practice training on like how to fix my bike, no matter what would happen. Like, what would I do for these tires? How would I replace my spokes? What would I do if my derailleur broke? Like all kinds of stuff. Um, and then I had like big packages of kits cause I wasn't going to be able to get those supplies at all in Mongolia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I made sure I had tons of stuff, which ended up being way too much stuff, but that's fine. And I did a practice, like a training bikepacking trip to Scotland beforehand. So I went to Scotland for 10 days and I was going to do the, um, on tour more. I know I'm butchering that name. Um, which is like from Glasgow all the way to Cape Wrath. Okay. Uh, it's a really cool. It's like a really, it sounds like a really well-established bike route. Like you can find places to stay in like mountain bodies or um, hostels along the way. But I brought everything I was going to bring to Mongolia just for training for like weight okay. training. Yeah, yeah. And had my big old fat bike and did the whole, and I started the thing and then I got super sick in the middle. So I just turned oh. it into the great Glenway instead. Oh, okay. Well, so here's <laughs> a real, here's a real, like total amateur hour question from me. Yeah. How do you get your bike to Scotland? I have a bag, so I take it apart. <laughs> what an easy answer. <laughs> I have a bag. It's it's a vault. It's in a, I forgot the brand actually. But do you have a like bag. a specific bike though that it's like, this is a good bike to travel with because you can break it down easily. Don't bring a fat bike. This is my mistake. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it would take up a lot of room. I don't know. It's really heavy the the size is like not a big deal because you can get like specific fat bike bags where the tire both tires come off the frame fits in the middle you take off the seat you take off the handlebars everything kind of like folds in on itself yeah take off the pedals but um i would like to point out that most fat bikes are like 25 plus pounds unless you have like a really fancy one and the bag itself is about 20 pounds so you will exceed the weight limit on everything you go and you will pay an overage charge (laughs) They're just looking at you. They're like, this this girl has a bike in here for sure. 100%. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely massive. <laughs> you get a bag with wheels on it too because game changing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I guess you don't want to pack that around. Oh, my God. It's so heavy. But yeah. it was, yeah, you put it in a bag and it ships over. And if you get like the specialty bike bags, I think that was, it was really, the bag was pretty expensive, but it was totally worth it. Yeah. My bike arrived in perfect condition every single That's time. Cool. That's cool. So you, when you're in Scotland and then you get sick, like did that whole experience kind of put a damper on it in your mind of like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this in Mongolia or not? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. But I wasn't ready to give up yet. It was still yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Still going to happen. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> like I'll figure this out. I love the like self-confidence and, you know, I feel like a big aspect of, people who like adventures is the idea of like not really knowing what's going to happen and being able to be adaptable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And to not panic when everything goes wrong. Yeah. Good. Yeah. But also preparedness. Yeah. Prepare more than I did probably. Well, even you saying, that's what I'm saying. Even you saying you had a whole bunch of like too much stuff. I'm like, it's probably better to have too much stuff for something like that. But it was really heavy bike. Like you, you don't, it was a fat bike covered in stuff it was heavy yeah 
so heavy, but that's okay. I should have trained, but it's fine. I think it worked out. I would not change what I did in Mongolia at all. Actually, yeah. I'm 100% completely happy with the fact that I changed plans. Yeah. I so let's go better. there. Because, oh, well, that's what I think is super interesting. So I guess you can kind of like lead us into that story, but I have some ideas that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Scotland happened and then I came back and I had a really quick turnaround, like seven days. And then I went to, then I went to Mongolia and, um, super fun, really exciting. Got all the stuff, like tons of things to go over there. Um, and so you fly into the capital Ulaanbaatar and, uh, I had 57 days in Mongolia and I had planned it out so I could give myself buffers on either end because there's no there's no good infrastructure to get places once you have a bike, once you're in the country. And the only place you can really fly into is the capital city, which is smack dab in the middle of Mongolia. Okay. And I wanted to start, I wanted to bike through the national park on the Western side, um, <clears throat> like Altai Tavanbog National Park on the West side of Mongolia, um, almost touching um, the border with like Russia and China and near Kazakhstan. And it was, uh, that's, I wanted to bike through there because those mountains are gorgeous. It's got the highest peaks in Mongolia there. And um, I wanted to see it. And so yeah. I had to make my way all the way over there, but there was no way to take a plane with a bike. Um, gotcha. So the only option was to take a bus. And the bus was 30 hours of bus rides. Yeah. One way, it's 30 hours, nonstop in a bus. Did you do it? I did. It was intense. Um, but also, God, there's so many things. There's so many things to talk about. Um, when I was taking the bus, um, you, you don't know how to get your bike on a bus because it's something that doesn't really happen in Mongolia. Yeah. And I think it was pretty much the first tourist to come back because they closed their borders for COVID yeah. in, like since 2020. Yeah. So I, I had to try to negotiate with the bus drivers to get my bus on the bike, but it wouldn't fit. So somebody else took my bike in their van to Ulgi. So it arrived like two days later. And it was just a lot of hope that my bike actually arrived. Wow. But that's one of the things that I really loved about Mongolia. I really want to go back. And that yeah. really started to, to make itself evident the moment I had arrived is that Mongolian people are amazing. Yeah. They're some of the nicest, most welcoming people that I've ever I've ever met in any country that I've traveled to. It was That's so cool. cool. I got there and um, I was staying in an Airbnb just because I needed some time to like put my bike together and like collect everything before I'd started and took off on the, on the bus. And um, the guy who picked me up from the airport was like, uh, he was a, a driver in the city, but he also did guiding, like guiding for tourists. Yeah. And so he picked me up and he spoke perfect English and we had an amazing chat and I told him all about the trip that I had planned and what I wanted to do. And the tours he actually did, he did a lot of cycling tours because he just likes to cycle. Oh, that's so cool. So he was so excited about it. And he was like, do you have a phone? Like something so that you can call. And I'm like, no, nah, it's really expensive to use the phones here. And he's like, well, you can borrow mine. No and way. He gave me a cell phone to use while I was in Mongolia. No way. That's yeah, amazing. Like, and I just had, I just bought a cheap old Mongolian SIM card to pop it in. So I'd have yeah. a phone number and he was like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and he's like, I'll take you back to the airport when you get done and it'll be fine. I'm like, wow. So much trust. You look trustworthy though. So I'm like, all right, nah, I, I see it. I'm like, yeah, dude, Sabrina, trust her. It's wild. You. you just met a foreign, a foreign person coming off of an airplane and you're like, yeah, borrow my phone. It's fine. 
Yeah. And that was the first thing that was I'm going the- to the airport tomorrow, by the way. So I'm going to do that, actually. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Borrow your phone while you're driving me to the airport. Uh, so everyone was really nice. And and he was just so kind and generous That's without cool. expecting anything in return, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, so and he spoke really good English, which was very, very rare. Um, very, very few people I ran across spoke any English at all. Um, so it was a lot of gestures, a lot of yeah. gestures, which is fun in its own way. Um, and so he helped me negotiate to figure out how I could get my bike on the bus. Oh, that's because a- nobody spoke English there. Yeah. So I couldn't explain to them what I needed. Yeah. So he came and helped because I was just like, can I just like pay you to drive me to the bus stop? And then you can like help me. Yeah. He was like, yeah, totally. Oh, um, cool. And so he helped figure that whole thing out. And I was like, this is like, everyone here is so nice. Yeah. So yeah. nice. That's cool. And I managed to make it to Ulgi after 30 hours on a bus with non-reclining backs of seats and the most stuffed bus I have ever been in. It was just crushed with people, <laughs> crushed for 30 hours. It was insane. That's And to be like, I'm going to get off this bus and do an athletic thing. I know, it was sounds wild. Sounds rough. Yeah, that sounds real, real rough. Um, but Ulgi, going to Ulgi um, on the Western side was what changed my whole plan. Okay. So I got to Ulgi and it was spectacular. It was one of the most fun places, like with the most wonderful people that I think I'd ever been to. And I got there and I was staying with, I had just found some random thing. You kind of had to figure everything out once you got there to Mongolia because you okay. can't plan beforehand. Yeah. You can't like reserve your Airbnbs or whatever. Unless you're in the capital city, you can do it in the capital because it's really well developed. But anywhere okay. else, you're kind of at the mercy of like when you get there, you kind of figure it out um, because you can't just call people from the U.S. to try to reserve stuff. Yeah. Because the infrastructure is just not there for that. Um, so I was getting there and I had found somebody that potentially had um, like a place for for tourists to stay yeah. um, at their house. And so I was like, all right, this will work. This will be fine. I'm going to stay with it. And um, her name was Nazca and it was her and her family. And they had um, gears, which are like the yurts, but they call okay. them gears in Mongolia. And they had them and they bring them out in the summer. And, and usually families will stay in the gears and they're the traditional nomadic homes in that area as well. So they move them from place to place and then put them up. And they're really quite comfortable. That's cool. Yeah. And I got to this place and Nazca was so ridiculously nice, spoke very good English. And she was all about introducing to the culture, like very proud of her heritage in Mongolia. And in the Western Mongolia, they're Kazakh ethnically, as opposed to um, like Mongolian in the center. So they have, their culture is more similar to Kazakhstan. Yeah. And they were, they were so proud of it and they had so much fun and they were so sharing and giving and just like, come into my house and eat our food. Yeah. I would like for you to try our food so that you can experience how delicious it is. Yeah. And it was just something they wanted to share with the world. Like, please, like our country is wonderful. Yeah. We have beautiful culture and we want you to see it. That's it was cool. So cool. And she was just like an adoptive mother while I was there. Cause I got there the first day and she was like, there's a party going on in town. Would you like to come? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> there was dancing. There was music. It was really fun. That's and that cool. happened almost every night. And, yeah. and when I, I had to wait for my bike because it was coming in a separate shipment. Yeah. So I had like two days to wait before my bike arrived. And so I was just experiencing Ugi in that time and like sharing in her culture. And my bike got there 
And it was just like the most dreaded feeling putting my bike together to get ready to go because Nazca was like, Oh, you're leaving tomorrow. Like, that's fine. Like <laughs> she was going to invite me to some more things to go do some more things in town. And I was yeah. like, man, I was just putting the bike together and I'm like, I don't want to leave. Yeah. I love this. Like I'm having such a good time here experiencing Mongolia. And it was, it was such a sad feeling. Like in my gut, I was like, I don't, not the same type of feeling that's just like excitement, terror. Like when you're lining up to a race where you're like, I'm not ready. Oh God, this is so exciting. But like in the back of your head, like I've trained so hard for this. Like, I know I want to do this, but I'm scared to start type of feeling that you have. When yeah. You're like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, butterflies. Like thing. once I pull off the bandaid, I'm like, good to go. Like, yeah. Once, yeah. once the race starts and you're like, go and you're like, yes, we're here. We're finally here. Yeah. It was, it was such like a, a pit in my stomach that was like, I don't want to leave this place. Yeah. And then, and, and then the next morning came around and I'd had everything packed up and I started the ride and I had my GPS loaded and, and I was on the road and I was going and it was happening. And I was 10 K in on this climb, just climbing this hill. And I was just like, man, I do not want to leave. Yeah. And then I was just having this debate with myself, this internal debate where I was like, why did I come here? Like, why, why did I fly to Mongolia? Why did I have a 15 hour flight in a 10 hour layover where I slept in an airport in some <laughs> random country on the floor Yeah. and then get here and then take a 30 hour bus ride to this town. Like, did I do this because I wanted to be completely in alone in a, in a location that's absolutely gorgeous. It was beautiful, but it looked a lot like Wyoming and it yeah. was, it was fantastic. It's my favorite landscape, but did I go all the way to Mongolia? because I wanted to be alone in the wilderness. I could have done that here. Yeah. I could have stayed in the U S and done an exceptionally long trip from Montana down all the way to Arizona. Yeah. I could have done some really cool stuff in the U S if I wanted to never see people again. Yeah. But I flew all the way to the other side of the world. Why was I there? And then it became this, this, this discussion with myself where I was like, do, why do I want to travel to places? Did I want to travel because I wanted to be in another country and experience that country? Yeah. Or did I travel because I wanted to challenge myself athletically? And does it have to be one or the other? Yeah. Like, is, is this an exclusionary topic where we're either challenging ourselves athletically really strongly or we're experiencing a country? Does it have to be one or the other? And then um, I decided I was going to do something in between. Yeah. Because I didn't go to Mongolia because I wanted to be alone in the woods. I went to Mongolia because I wanted to experience a country again. I wanted yeah. to be experiencing something different than my everyday life, right? <laughs> Um, so I turned around Yeah, and, 10K in. and I was like, I didn't come to Mongolia to never see people. I came yeah. to Mongolia because I think it's a beautiful country, no doubt. Um, but I want to experience it, it the way that I think it should be. And in my yeah. opinion, I, I, that to me meant that I needed to experience the country itself and not just the landscape. Yeah. So, how, how psyched were they when you were, when they saw you coming back down? 
down was the crazy. hill. It was great. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I, did, I drove all the way back. I rode all the way back down, turned into Nazca's uh, house and just walked back in, <laughs> knocked on the door. And she was like, oh, my God. Dude. So you made like you said that in a post online, like you and obviously you just explained it really like way more in depth, which is amazing. <laughs> but you said like you had that realization yeah. and I just think that's absolutely incredible. Like it's a great realization. And ever since I read that, like I was telling Lindsay and like, I can't remember like Thomas Mullins probably. I was like, dude, I'm going to interview Sabrina and it's going to be freaking awesome because <laughs> she chose not to go on an adventure and, but it made so much sense to me. And I think what connected with me was, I think I read that right after Lindsay and I had traveled to Iceland and that was my first international travel since like 2012 or something. And I was like, I, I understood. I'm like, yes. Oh my God. That makes sense to me. Like you're there to experience all that that country has to offer. And if you're putting yourself in the box of this, like one goal, you're going to be missing out on a lot of it, you know, and you can, I love that. And you can explain in a little bit, but like, the like kind of hybrid like doing athletic stuff but still experiencing the culture like that was yeah. it made a lot of sense to me i was like oh yeah this is the joy of travel like this is really what it is it was yeah that that's what i think i had been missing so i the last travel i'd said was in like 2014 yeah and that's i had done entirely cultural experiences with like occasional sprinkles of some stuff put in but i wasn't really athletic until after that anyway yeah so i never really did sports or anything um and I think I had just gone that I decided to to overcompensate one direction versus the other. So I had been, oh, traveling is all about cultural things. But then once I started doing athletic pursuits, like ultra running and climbing and these types of things, everything became about the pursuit of the sport. Yeah. And so everything I did was a step towards being better at that sport and doing more difficult climbs or running more long distances. Um, and that became the thing that was really important. And I'd swung from like one side entirely to the other. And I, my thoughts when I first started this plan was that I wanted to merge them together. Yeah. But I realized once I got there and made that change that I wasn't merging anything. I was just doing the athletic pursuit in another place yeah. without any consideration to what that place was. Yeah. Um, but merging them together, I think was more of what I did. So I did do some athletic things. I still did a couple of weeks of biking, but I didn't do that the whole time. Yeah. Instead, I decided that traveling is about sharing cultural experiences with people and learning about the rest of the world and how everyone else lives yeah. and leaving your little bubble. Yeah. And I was just going to stay in my little bubble yeah. the whole time I was there. Yeah. Which you don't fly 15 hours to stay in your own little bubble no that seems weird don't do that <laughs> no i so i i wrote down like i made a little outline of things to talk about with this and i wrote down the idea of like and maybe you can speak to it and you probably already have um but there's this idea and this is kind of where i feel like i'm at right now too but i haven't signed up for any race or anything like that but there's this idea of like a freedom of adventure versus like the rigidity of an adventure goal 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but like, that makes total sense. Like, as soon as I set a goal, now in my mind, like I'm locked into the schedule of training and all that. Whereas, if I just want to go out and have an adventure, like I want to be able to do whatever I want to do, but I also want to just have that freedom. And Death. I don't know. Oh, yeah. yes, I totally understand. I actually have a pretty good um, descriptor of like the two different extremes, kind of. Yeah. So back when I used to travel a lot. Um, when I was an undergrad, uh, I went to Bolivia, um, like after my internship with the NGO in Paraguay. And, um, I had this like rigid schedule planned out. I was a very type a <laughs> in undergrad. I had it planned to the minute the bus was leaving. Like I had every single step of this trip. Planned. Yeah. And, um, some friends, some European friends that were also, um, interning with that NGO, they, they, we all decided to go together. I had this plan and we were going to stick to it, but they were more in that fluid, like let's experience Bolivia type of mindset. Yeah. And it was the most excruciating thing for me at the time to be like, we have missed this experience because we slept in yeah. unacceptable, <laughs> um, like robotic level of panic. And at some point in the middle of that, I had to like, let that go. Yeah. And the trip got so much better. Yeah. Because it was, it no longer became like, I have to make this and this like stressful experience of like, we must experience these things because it is on the time schedule as to like, you see more things and you meet more people when you're just like, wow, that sounds fun. Let's yeah. go over there and meet those people. And we ended up having some really fun experiences, like meeting uh, a group of we were, in, we were still in Paraguay, meeting a group of Paraguayans um, when we were just like, let's go have a beer here. Yeah, And we met them and they were like, do you want to ride on our motorbikes? We'll show yeah. you the town. Of course. And then we got to go take a motorbike ride and see the whole town. And they were teaching us Spanish and it was so much fun. Yeah. And yeah. we never would have experienced that if we'd been like, I must be at the bus station in the next five minutes. Yeah. The yeah. Next place where we'll do the next experience and see the next museum. And I think, but I think there's a balance there too. Yeah. Because you like, want to have, you want to do that stuff as well. Stuff. Yeah. But you got to be fluid and know that it's okay if it doesn't happen like you plan it yeah well then even like athletically too i'm like i like having goals like i really do i like having something to train for because Same. it does keep me whatever in check mostly with eating donuts on the weekends or not eating donuts but <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah either way either way but um but i i don't want that to like control everything I'm doing you know like yeah. I don't want to like be stuck in that like you said bubble almost but it's like if you're like this is all I'm doing and this is all I'm focused on like you are you do get kind of stuck in a bubble a little bit yeah. I think uh it gets kind of tiring though to have to yeah. like fly by the seat of your pants after a certain amount of time <laughs> yes okay yeah no I hear you yeah. You, know, you get like, you get like travel fatigue after like so much time where you're like, oh my God, yeah. we'll have to plan all this out. Like, oh, we got to go do that. But there's a lot of logistics that need to happen in the meantime. Oh yeah. That, no, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Well, I wanted to hear your thoughts. Like I was wondering if you obviously, and I feel like I'm definitely wrong on this when I wrote it down even, but, um, you know, sports, 
like can be this exploration of like the internal, like when you're running a hundred miles, which is what we talked about last time in Virginia, you're exploring like the internal, like, can I do this? Do I have the resilience and the grit and the drive to push through? Right. And then you get travel, which is more, which this is why I'm wrong. Cause it's also the exploration of the internal, but you're exploring, like literally exploring externally. Like, was there something that you were like, I'm comfortable with being able to grind through this hard challenge, but I do want to like more experience, like the external nature of, of where I'm at. Yeah. I think I could say that traveling is cause traveling's internal too. Um, yeah. That's why I, I was like, as I was writing it, I'm like, stupid, Chris traveling is also internal. <laughs> But I think you're right. It's, it's an internal external Yeah. because maybe like, um, this is just me spitballing right now, but like thinking about it like that, in that, in that context, it's like doing a running a hundred miles or doing an extremely hard bike race is like very internal to yourself. Yeah. You're thinking about who am I and what is, what do I need? What is, what is the colors of my soul? Um, like very deep introspective about yourself. But I think maybe when you travel it's internal, but it's, it's comparing yourself to the rest of the external. So you're comparing yourself, your internal and molding your internal based off of external experience. Okay. Maybe. So it's like, you see yourself internally from a different perspective and you see things you've experienced from a different perspective when you see how the rest of the world sees that. So it gives you a new perspective on yourself based off that external stimuli is how it it can be experienced, right? that was that was you winging it that was a great explanation oh my god okay hold on i was right you'll listen to it again you'll be like that's bullshit (laughs) i can't listen to these i can't i can't stand the sound of my own voice um, (laughs) believe it or not um that's amazing okay so just kind of fill us in on like the rest of how the mongol like what did you come back from mongolia like you mentioned a different perspective Mm-hmm. you know, which I think is wonderful. Like when you came back after that trip, like how did your perspective change um, just about the world or yourself? I would say a couple, there's a couple things that, that were amazing. Um, I think one is that one's actually, uh, it's, it's a bit shallow, I think, but I think it was really important. I think a lot of people will relate to it. Um, from the perspective of just like how we view ourselves and the bodies that are our vessels, right? So I think we can be really judgmental, um, particularly as athletes, um, about how we look sometimes and that we're like, oh, we don't have enough muscles or we're not strong enough or um, we carry weight in a certain space um, that we don't want to have that. And when we have a poor self-image, but yeah. And um, I think maybe because I had abandoned an athletic pursuit I and I wasn't doing as much athletic activity as I had anticipated, I think I was being really harsh on myself and my my self-view of my own body and thinking that like, oh, I'm such a the weak, flappy person for not 
uh, for giving up on something that I should have accomplished athletically, that, that I wasn't strong enough to do something as opposed. And then um, it was actually a moment in a van in the middle of the Gobi Desert. And I remember, I remember the moment so clearly. It was beautiful and it was just the most perfect red sand as far as you could see these giant sand dunes we had just left the they called them the singing sands because when you climb them and it was the tallest sand dune on the mongolian side in the gobi desert and you climb up to the top and i was the only person there wild the tallest peak somewhere peak somewhere yeah and there's nobody else there. And so I climbed it completely alone. And when you go down, your feet the your feet sink into the sand because it's so fine that, that you sink up to the ankles. When you pull your feet back out, it makes a humming sound. So every time you pull your feet out and move, the sand is singing as you oh, go back down so the cool. sand. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. And oh, it was fantastic. And on the drive back, I was like sitting there and I was looking out and I was just like, your body does so much for you. And it's like, I'm in Mongolia. I just climbed a sand dune. Yeah, I was out of breath the whole time and stopped like six times climbing this sand dune. But I did that. And I yeah. and I don't give the body, the vessel that I am in enough credit yeah. for the things that it does. Like it's, I've done some really cool things and I've done a lot of cool stuff. And I think I, I I've, I'm trying to, base the value of those things off of how athletic my body looks or how athletic yeah. I am. Yeah. Like it doesn't change the fact that they still happened and that they're wonderful. And that this vessel that I'm in has allowed me to do that. That's amazing. And I should be far more grateful for the body that I'm living in. And I just, that was, I was such a good moment. Yeah. I try to carry it back with me now that I'm here. It's not kind of like a shallow moment of just, no, like, but see, I've been talking about this a lot because I watched like a four minute short film about running or something once. And in it, this guy said, and I wish I knew the name of the film. I can't remember it and I'll look it up at some point, but it was about a guy running in the grand, the rim to rim to rim. Right. And he talks about, he goes out and does this adventure and then he comes back and it was great, but he left with like one thought, like one healing thought or whatever, one big realization that he kept and he referred to it as his trophy for it. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, that is it. Like, thank you. Someone finally expressed it. Like you go do these crazy things and then you have some sort of epiphany and that's your trophy. And you get to keep that with you the rest of your life. Like you get to keep that thought with you the rest of your life. And sometimes like in the moment, obviously like it feels really intense, like and strong and stuff. And then, you know, after you get back to normal everyday life for yourself, like it kind of, it doesn't, it might like dim a little bit, but it never goes away completely. Like you'll never forget that realization. And I'm like, that's why you do things. <laughs> like that's why you step outside your comfort zone is to get those, like those trophies, you know, yes. I don't know. Those, those are the best kinds of trophies. That's, they that's are. really good. I'd love to hear that video. Yeah. 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 I'll try to find it if I remember what it's called. <laughs> yes, yeah. But so, yeah. And then did you have any other like things that you took back with you? Um, I, yeah, I'd say I kind of touched on it, I think earlier, but um, I think that big one was the, the combination of the two different things that 
it doesn't, it's, it was still an adventure. I still had a fantastic adventure and I met some amazing people that I absolutely intend to go back and see again and yeah. do more things. Like, you know, the guy that um, picked me up yeah. and lent me his phone. Yeah. Um, when I decided to change my plans, um, he said he did bike tours and I'm like, you know who I want to experience Mongolia with? Yeah. Bata. Okay. That's, That's who cool. I want to experience yeah. Mongolia with. So I reached out to him on Facebook and I was like, Hey, like you want to do some biking? And that was the biking that I did. I did two biking trips with him, with Bata and his dad. And his dad was the sweetest man ever. And so in that way, I still got to do biking, but I also got to learn about Mongolia from yeah. Mongolian people. And develop like a friendship. Yeah. And yeah. he was fantastic and super fun. And it was a wonderful trip. And when I went with Bata and his dad, instead of just going on my own on routes that I thought maybe were kind of cool, I got to see a lot more special things that were special to Mongolia yeah. than I would have if I just like picked this thing because it looked like it was geographically capable of taking a bike. <laughs> yeah. um, so I got to see like Przewalski's horses, which are like the ancestral horses and they're, they're wild and they kind of look like zebras and they kind of look like horses. And so I got to see wild Przewalski's horses, That's sweet. which was amazing. And it was so cool to see. I got to go to a hot spring, which was really fun. Oh, it was, it was hot springs. To... Always fun. Sorry. Oh I just wanted yeah. to add that, that oh, obvious note. So right. <laughs> I get to eat so much meat that it was unbelievable while I was there. I have never eaten so much meat in my life. Horse is delicious. Horse milk is also delicious. Uh, I have eaten so much mutton. I don't think I could again for a while because yeah. it was just so much, but it was delicious. And I got to eat this food cooked in these wonderful ways. Yeah. Um, and Nazca taught me some cool recipes that I can come back and now I can make. Um, Bata showed me how to do, they, they cook the meat with stones that they found, like round stones that like we picked up while we were biking from the rivers that were like naturally made round. And you make the stones really, really hot. And then you cook the meat with the really, really hot stones. And it gives it this beautiful earthy flavor that's it's just cool. fantastic it yeah just, oh, made the meat just <laughs> unbelievably good yeah and these are things i never would have experienced i would have been eating dehydrated meals <laughs> and maybe bread and i got peanut butter and bread no i couldn't find peanut butter i got jelly and bread <laughs> <laughs> and and that was going to eat jellied bread for two months instead and maybe when i pass through a town i might try to buy something on my own but there was no english anywhere so it would be a guess i have yeah. no idea what foods are i didn't know yeah. what their names were called yeah so i got to try all these delicious foods i got to hold a golden eagle that's crazy i spent two days staying with um, how did that happen my family yeah, yeah it was amazing nazca knew um she would organize things for me if i wanted to go do something and there was a family of um eagle hunters that they lived out in um, the rural area in Ulgi and they were a nomadic family. And I went and stayed with them for two days and they showed me how they lived. I got to help them herd the sheep. I got to collect up a million pieces of animal poo because they burn it, they dry it and then they burn it. And that's what they use for fire because there's no wood. Yeah. Um, and it actually smells really good. <laughs> strange, strange way. Never in my life would I think I would think, hmm, burning sheep poo smells delicious. But it actually does. It's Okay. Uh, I'll experience it someday, I'm sure. And uh, I'll probably, I'll probably agree with you. I don't know if I'm going to say it on a podcast, you know. It's okay. I'm I've already joking. put it out there. Put it out there in the world. 
it's a factor of life. I'm weird. Here we go. Um, but it, no, I got to, I got to milk a yak while I was there too. That's cool. I milked a yak. I milked some cows. Yeah. Uh, I got to hold baby sheep as it was suckling my fingers. It was probably Aww. the sweetest experience I've ever had. Yeah. What was the eagle like? Like enormous. Re- yeah, because those things are huge. Was huge. Yeah. And it was ridiculously heavy. Like the moment he, the eagle hunter, we would communicate with numbers and gestures, and and his son spoke pretty good English. He was like trying to explain it. And um, they were like, keep your arm up high or the eagle will claim your shoulder. And its claws were like the length of your finger. And I was like, holy crap, I will yeah. not be lowering my arm. But it was so heavy. And I was like using my other arm to like hold it up. I'm like, what? Oh, this is the biggest workout ever. Um, but it was wow. so wild. It was that's huge. cool. So that was really fun. Um, yeah. I, I rode a camel. That's cool. Mongolian camels have two humps. So you sit in the middle of the two humps, which I That's, think is very unique. Fact. It seems more comfortable. It is quite comfortable. It's going to be way more. One ugly. one would not be comfortable, in my opinion. No, I don't know where you would sit, actually. Do you no. sit on top of the hump? Do you sit in front of the hump? I don't know. These are important questions. See, okay. Okay. This is the last thing I want to get at with, with you. You're a scientist. You're going to school to study bumblebees. Uh-huh. You like travel. There's this thing, if I had to describe you with one word, it would be curiosity, you know? And I think that is such an important skill in not only science and travel, but also just life in general. And this is why this whole thing is amazing to me. Cause I'm like, you got to explore all these different areas when, when, whereas you never would have otherwise. Uh, yeah, I agree. That's an extremely important thing to have. And I would say that's something that I gained, I think. That's actually, I would say my biggest takeaway from Mongolia okay. is curiosity to care about understanding how other people do things and how the rest of the world works. And then I think I took that back with me by finding this grad program where the questions are really interesting. Yeah. And I, I love the questions that we ask. And I think that's really important for everybody. Um, something that I'm learning myself is a 31 year old finally going into a career that I'm actually hoping to stay in forever is that I think the biggest difference that I've noticed in what makes this matter, because a work work will always be work, right? Yeah. You, you, you make it seem really cool. And you're like, ah, if I'm a, if I'm a rock eyed, I will work. Won't be work. Work will be play. No work is still work. Like yeah. if you are guiding the same rock over and over again, it's going to lose its magic. Yeah. Um, no matter what you're going to do, work still feels like work. So I think the important thing to find is that the work that you're doing is constantly stimulating in a new way. Yeah. And that I think that what I'm doing here, I love the questions that I ask. And while a lot of it's like a lot of drudgery and a lot of writing and a metric ton of reading really dense stuff, I still find the questions extremely interesting. Yeah. So no matter what, I feel mentally stimulated all the time. So I'm still interested in these questions and I care what they what the answers could be. And I think that is what I've learned is that that curiosity is the most important thing in your job too. Yeah. Just your daily life. Like I, you you want to feel interested and stimulated and not bored and repetitive. Yeah. Do you think like, I mean, do you think that's something you've always had or something you developed? Because I think back to like, 
you know, the last time we talked or when I interviewed you out in the, for our film and, um, you know, you started talking about all of a sudden you're rock climbing, but then you're like, man, I could do those routes over there and I could do these other routes. And then you're like, and now I can run. And then you're like, but I could also do a hundred miles through the desert or 150 miles in the desert. Then I could do a hundred miles in one day. Like, do you think you were, you've always been that person or it's just like developed over time? I think I'd been that person in my personal life. Yeah. I think it had developed over time. Gotcha. It wasn't quite as strong, but in my personal life, I think I had sought out those types of activities and environments. And I think I had been searching for it in my professional life too. It was something okay. I wanted, but I had never found. So yeah. I was constantly looking for it. Like when I changed jobs, like a million times, I wanted that feeling of, um, being engaged in the work that I was doing. And I kept thinking that this will be the thing that keeps, that is what will engage my soul. And I kept basing it off of like, well, I like to climb in my personal (laughs) life, so I'm sure it'll be great in my professional life. And I'm sure to some people it absolutely is. Yeah, It's exciting no matter what. And every time it's stimulating and fun, Um, but I hadn't found it. And it took so many times of like, moving to the next thing and trying something new. And I'll be like, this will be the moment that I'm invested and interested in what I do, even when it's treacherous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think now I've kind of, I think I've found it. This is it. No, I don't think I have found it. This is it. I love it. (laughs) That's awesome. No, that's amazing. Dude, you're so cool. I was so excited to do this one. Um, so thank you. Like this is the, I hope this is the first adventure podcast, but here's what here's, I'm going to say it's the adventure podcast where like, why to not go on an adventure, but in reality you made everything in an adventure anyways, you know what I mean? It's just different. Isn't that the takeaway that everything is an adventure. It's all about perspective. Dude. Perfect. Let's we'll wrap it there. Thank you, Sabrina, for coming on the show. Uh, I definitely want to talk with you again after you do some more amazing things. So yeah, total pleasure to have you on the show though. Thanks. This wasn't as interesting as my first one, but I think it was still fun. I I think it was just as interesting calling it. (laughs) All righty. That wraps up this week's episode. Uh, huge thanks for Sabrina for coming back on the show. Uh, definitely an amazing, amazing human being uh hilarious guest she's awesome um but what she was talking about when she was talking about travel and she was talking about seeing yourself from a different perspective i never have ever thought about it that way i've never heard it put in those terms um but man i really connected to that I, that really kind of like blew my mind. And I feel like that when we talked about like the trophies you keep from endurance racing, like you get one idea and you get to keep it. That's the trophy I'm getting from this podcast. Like I'm going to keep that because, oh my goodness, like that is exactly what happens when you travel, you travel and you get to see the world, you get to see how other people live. Um, And it's a good reminder, honestly, like sometimes I feel like we forget that people are out there living differently than us, you know? Um, And you forget that other paths in life are possible. When you travel, it opens your eyes up to these other paths that you see other people have taken. And maybe that's something that you're interested in taking. Or maybe you're just comforted by knowing that people are out there 
doing X, Y, Z and living in these different ways. Um, or it, maybe it makes you more grateful for things that you might have. Or maybe it opens your eyes to some empathy and, and how you might uh, be able to be a positive influence in the world. There's all of these things and it all comes from travel, which is so cool. And to hear her story and to, I just I remember when I read she had posted something and I read like her thought of like, why would I why did I travel all the way around the world to be by myself? Like I could have done that, you know, back out in the West in the United States. Like I didn't have to travel halfway around the world to not see people. And placing the value of seeing other people and the value of experiencing another culture above the quote unquote adventure, right? Even though obviously traveling halfway around the world is always going to be adventure no matter what, but quote unquote the adventure like endurance goal that she had was really inspiring to me. Um, and I'm always, I'm inspired by people who do these huge things. I would have 100% had Sabrina on, had she biked across Mongolia. I would have wanted to hear about that. I would have been inspired by her then, but there's something about really just following what your heart is telling you to do. That is beyond inspiring to me like that was like oh my goodness like I have to hear about this like that is so incredibly cool um and she's an awesome person and uh I'm very excited this is not unrelated by the way I'm very excited for when our movie a long way from nowhere is out there because that is the project we met Sabrina on, and she definitely pops up in the film. Um, and once again, just has these like amazing things to say while also being her hilarious, positive, bubbly personality. Um, it's great. So, so yeah, so uh, just huge thanks to Sabrina for coming back on the show. Thank you all for listening. Um, if you made it this far, uh, I am not doing social media for the next few months, uh, most likely, well, all of November for sure. We're going to reevaluate and see what happens in December. It's been a really interesting experiment so far. I'm only like three days in, but uh, it has definitely showed me like there are times where I'd get on my phone and habitually go to like Instagram or something like habitually where like I moved the location on my phone so I don't see it and I'll still open it and click the same spot. And I'm like, why am I opening Dropbox instead? Cause that's there now. But, um, that's been really fascinating. I think the whole, I mean, we'll do a whole podcast about what I learned in the future. I'm still, I'm only three days in, but the initial three days have been a really fascinating thing. And honestly, I don't find, I'm not finding that I've missed it. Um, there are parts that I, I like communication with people, um, you know, things like that, that are a little more difficult now. Um, but I haven't found that I missed it yet. Honestly, even though I'm habitually accidentally clicking the area of my phone <laughs> because my brain's like, oh, you're doing this activity like time to open your phone and click here. And then I do it and I'm like, whoa, that was crazy. That was just pure instinct. 
like that's nuts um but all that being said if you need to contact me uh for the podcast you can always email me at like a bigfoot at gmail.com uh like if you have a guest recommendation or something like that definitely reach out like a bigfoot at gmail.com that would be awesome um all right that wraps up this week's show we will be back at you next week